chapter 9, 30 through 37, so please follow along as I read the passage out loud. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching to his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. This is God's word. Good morning, church. Well, uh, we, my family, who is just exiting right now, um, not because I'm preaching, because it's time to go home. Um, <laughs> they were here for first service. Um, we just got back from a trip this summer um, and we were on the East Coast visiting my husband's family and then we spent quite a bit of time in England visiting my family. We had not been there as a family for about six years. So it was just a really special trip. And as you do when you travel, um, you, you rent a car, right? And you know, we, there was four of us, we had a lot of bags, like we were moving around the country quite a bit. And so we ended up with an SUV and it was much larger than we anticipated. And here's the thing about England, right? If you've been to London, good for you. But if you wanna like experience the heart of England, which is where I'm from, you gotta go to the countryside. You gotta go to the rural farming kind of community. It's just beautiful, just lovely. Now here's the thing about the countryside and driving in England. There are these roads, they're more like lanes they're tiny, they're like one width of a car, like one car width wide. They are narrow and winding. Very often they're not, they don't show up on GPS. And you might think like, oh, that sounds so cute, Ruthie. Like I bet you are driving through the hills with the windows down, the wind through your hair. Not really, because they're kind of terrifying. Even though I grew up there and they are beautiful, the challenge is when you hit oncoming traffic. Like when you hit traffic, and it's you and them, it's either you're backing up for about half a mile or you're pulling into a ditch just to like kind of create room. So it's a little bit stressful, although beautiful. So we ran a car and uh, we were one night staying in this part of England that I was not familiar with down in the South, but we were there to visit friends. And I rented an Airbnb that was like this cute little cottage and Three times before I, we arrived, I got the owner wrote to me, three times giving me directions. Every time she added on one more thing. Well, here's a phone number if you get lost. Well, here's another marker that you should look for. And I looked at Brian, I was like, Psh, I don't know what she's talking about. Like, I'm totally not gonna get lost. Well, of course, we got lost, you know. We eventually found it. We pulled in, cute little Airbnb, quickly changed didn't pay a ton of attention to our surroundings. Then we drove to a barbecue, hung out with friends that evening, went to go drive home. It's pitch black, get into the car, GPS starts us off in the right direction, and then GPS just decides, I'm as confused as you are, I quit. So GPS is just kind of like loading, not doing anything. 
we end up on a road where like, we are totally lost. Like, I don't know where we are. And I want you to imagine, it is like, there's like a foot on either side of the car. You're driving down the road, it's pitch black. There's not a light, there's not a house, there's, not a, there's nothing. I've got my lights on, all I can think about is, oh my gosh, if someone whips around that curve, like, we are gonna have an accident, and I'm just like, we have taken the wrong turn. And so, you know, when you're in that place of like feeling lost, you begin to think, should we turn around? Like, should we just go back where we came from? This is so confusing. The thing that's supposed to help us get from A to B, the GPS has failed us. I'm so, I'm so should we go back? And then you just keep going. And then you start thinking, well, who, who, which one of you said I should turn down this road? Whose fault is this? Like spiraling, oh my gosh, why did I book this Airbnb? Why didn't we pay more attention? And Brian's like, take some deep breaths. And I did try, I want you to know. And, and then he, as time went on, I was panicking. I was, I was like, babe, we are so, we are lost in the hobbit land of England. I don't even, I'm driving a tank. I don't, I, freaking out, anxiety's going, gripping the steering wheel. You know how you do when you're just like, oh, as if that's gonna somehow assist you. And then he said, could you please try not to freak out? <sighs> That went down about as bad as well as you think it would. And so the tensions are high, right? We are disoriented. We are totally turned around. We don't know what to do. The good part of the story is we eventually, after about 15 or 20 minutes of just like not knowing where we were, we came upon a main road, GPS reoriented. We're like, okay, this is how we move forward. We got back to our Airbnb, never stay there again but it was good for a sermon story. <laughs> because this morning, I wanna to talk to you about disorientation. I wanna to talk to you about that feeling when you are heading down this road in life and you think, I don't know where I am. I, I feel completely lost. I thought I knew where I was and this came upon me suddenly and I'm just not sure what's going on and there are no markers and the very things that used to get me to where I was trying to go that failed me, and I feel completely lost. And to be honest, I'm gonna draw a little bit from Mark this morning, but I felt as I was preparing this word that it was a prophetic word for our community. Because I've spoken to so many of you prior to this sermon, after first service, and a lot of folks are just like, I'm just disoriented. I just, I can't figure out what, did I, did I take a wrong step? Did I miss God? Should I go in a different direction? It's just all very confusing. Mark Sayers, he is an author, prophetic voice and a friend to our community, was recently giving an interview and he commented on the fact that we are in this kind of cultural disorientation, just worldwide. He calls it a gray zone, a kind of in between our one era and on the cusp of another. During that interview, he quoted from the Financial Times in an article in 2019, where novelist Arundhati Roy wrote that pandemics are portals between worlds. And he goes on to say that the pandemic took us from the world of 2019 into something else that isn't quite clear yet. We know that the landscape of the world is shifting beyond just the pandemic, war and politics and all of the things going on, but we don't quite know where we've landed. We're in a cultural disorientation but I also think that many of us are in a personal season of disorientation. Maybe you've had some transition or change in your life recently. 
Maybe you've moved house, maybe you've changed jobs, maybe you ended a relationship. And it doesn't have to be a negative situation for you to feel disoriented. Just ask any new parent or someone who recently got married. It's disorienting, change and transition. We're just like, wait, this wasn't like it was before. Whether it's unexpected or planned, we can find ourselves feeling like the ground that we're standing on just isn't as certain as it was previously. We're not sure how to navigate and move forward. Or perhaps you've gone through a season of questioning your purpose, your calling, or your chosen career path. Maybe you're second-guessing some decisions you made years ago, asking yourself, have I missed God? Did I take a wrong turn? Maybe you're in a second season of life and you're thinking, is this what I wanna do for the rest of my life? Does this satisfy me? Is this what I was put on the planet for? Maybe you've changed or maybe your priorities have changed. Loss can be one of the greatest contributors to us feeling disoriented. Maybe you lost something or someone recently. To have something or someone that was steady in your life removed can create a sense of feeling unsettled and untethered. It just doesn't feel right anymore. Maybe you lost someone because they passed away. Maybe you lost someone to politics and conspiracy theories and you just had to put up boundaries and say, oh, it's not gonna be the same as it was anymore. Maybe you lost people because they moved out of the city and your community just kind of fell away. Maybe you lost people in the last couple of years that you were doing this faith journey with, that you were in this Jesus zone together, your spiritual friends spurring each other on and then suddenly decided, I don't know if this Jesus thing is for me anymore. And it's disorienting when people that were with you in it fall away. I, I... I can relate to all of those examples. People that I was like, we are in this ride or die. And then as things change and relationships shift, I find yourself asking all these questions. Should I, should I turn back? Did I make a wrong turn? Like, have I, have I missed God somewhere here? There's so many questions. Or maybe you are going through your own season of uncertainty Maybe you are second-guessing God, questioning your faith, examining long-held beliefs, struggling to find a a place to put your feet and land, and you feel like my relationship with God has has shifted, and I've shifted, but I don't know what's shifted, and I just don't know. I wonder where the disorientation is in your life this morning. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was on a phone call with my coach, and I was talking to her about a tradition that we have in our family. Every year, I print, fam- like take photos and I print them in a book, right? I know for some of you folk, you're like, you print your photos? I do. Take them off of a digital device and I put them in a book. Open the pages like this. And I started doing this as a tradition because I did it once and I realized that my kids love it. Like I have them in our living room and periodically they just pick them up and they flip through and they're like, oh my gosh, you remember that vacation? Or do you remember when God provided that thing? You remember when we celebrated? And it's just such a good practice of remembrance. I was telling my coach how recently I picked up my 2019 family yearbook. And as I flipped through the pages, I just felt crushed. I felt crushed because 2019 was a great year for Ruthie Kim. It was a great year. I had opportunities that came my way that I had been praying for for years and years. 
I had relationships, experiences, travel, family visiting. Our family was financially doing better than it ever had before. Like we just felt like we're on an upswing. There was some momentum. I felt like I could kind of track the trajectory of what was happening and it felt so good. Maybe that was your 2019. And then the pandemic hit and it felt like everything kind of got jumbled. It wasn't like everything fell apart because the last two years there's been really beautiful and amazing things. Like things that I will forever point back to and tell the story of God's miracles. Those happened, but it was the level of control, the sense of predictability, the momentum. I just felt like suddenly I went from like, yes, 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 to yes, not sure, maybe. It was just so disorienting. And as I was telling her the story, I just found myself saying, but this wasn't the plan. This wasn't the plan. Wrestling with that sense of this wasn't what I was expecting. I felt like I'm driving down that country road and I'm just like kind of gripping on because I'm just like, I'm not sure what's going to come around the corner. I don't know where I am. The thing that's supposed to say you're on the right track, like community and how I connect with God, all of those things feel like they're kind of spinning like a compass and I'm just not quite sure how to move forward. None of us like that feeling, right? We all like our plans and some level of control. And frankly, I would like to just say to disorientation, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I bind up the demons and I'd like to deal with it that way. That would be my preference. It's frustrating why these seasons of disorientation don't end when we want them to end. I mean, why doesn't Jesus intervene? Why doesn't he rescue us? Disorientation is a theme throughout scripture. Walter Brueggemann, who is an author and a theologian, wrote extensively about the Psalms. And he talked about these spiritual songs in three categories. He talked about orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Orientation, these are, these are songs like everything's great, God, you're so good, yeah for the victory, hallelujah, praise him, amazing. These are the mountaintop psalms. Disorientation, these are the psalms that we read when the songwriters feel lost and they're questioning God. Like Psalm 13, like how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Like this sense of like things are not right and I don't know how to make them right and it's just all very topsy-turvy. These are the psalms of disorientation and just to encourage you, there's about two-thirds of the psalms are psalms of disorientation. And then reorientation. These are the songs where we reorient back to God. Our perspective shifts and we focus in on things like God's unfailing love or I rejoice in you. And not only are these categories for the psalms, but it is a process of the Christian life. Orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. The text we read this morning is what many commentators agree is the theological nerve center of the book of Mark. We've been on this journey with Jesus. We've watched him do all these powerful, amazing things. And between chapters roughly eight and 10, we have the center where Jesus is making his purpose and mission explicit. Maybe you remember over the last few weeks we've been journeying, we've been up on the mountaintop in the transfiguration and just been like this glory moment, right? 
And then back down into the valley where the disciples could not cast out this demon and it was all these feelings of failure and struggle. They are on this journey with Jesus. It isn't until chapter 10 that Mark actually tells us where they're going. He keeps using this language, on the way. On the way where, Mark? In chapter 10, he says, on the way to Jerusalem, on the way for Jesus to go die. And they are on the way with Jesus. And at this point in the story, Jesus has told them twice now, I'm gonna die. Like, this is where it's all going. I'm going to my death. And the disciples are so turned around. Like, they just don't get it. They have no clue what's going on. And so we have this crazy little passage where they're walking along and they're having a conversation. And Jesus turns and says, what were you arguing about on the road? But they wisely kept quiet because on the way they'd been arguing, they'd argued about who was the greatest. Jesus is like, okay, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna rise again. This is my mission. This is my purpose. And they're over here being like, guys, who do you think is the best? Like legit. Like, I mean, I cast out this crazy big demon. Yeah, but I laid hands on that guy and his leg grew. Like, it's like this weird argument that they're having. Like, who is the best here? Who is the greatest? It's bizarre. And so we take a moment just to slow down and consider what's going on in their life. See, very often when our lives feel out of control, when we feel disoriented, when things aren't going the way we planned, like, hey, I thought we were gonna be the conquering Messiah and this was gonna be amazing and now you're talking about dying. Like when things don't go as we expected, we tend to double down on control. We tend to lean into old narratives, cling to familiar ways. Something needs to be certain in times of uncertainty. So like me on the steering wheel of that car, we grip. We just, we tighten, we grasp, we hold on. And it looks different for all of us. For the disciples, they went back to the old behavior. Who's the best? Let's define, let's get a pecking order. Let's figure this out. But for us, it's very different. Some of us try to control others when we feel out of control. Our life might be spinning, we can't figure it out. So now is a great time to sort out our partner and our kids. Like those things that previously were like minor annoyances are now stuff like, you should really be in therapy, babe. You gotta take care of this. Could you clean the house? Could you sort this out? Like suddenly it's like full force, criticize, manipulate, interrogate. Would you just, can I just mm, control you because I can't figure out this thing happening in here? Some of us overwork. We strive for success or try to produce more because at least then we've got something tangible something to put in our hands and say, look, look, I've produced this thing. I don't know what's going on in my life, but look, I've worked 80 hours this week and I am doing good. Or maybe we go into full-on planning mode, like we're redoing budgets and we're rewriting to-do lists and we check them off, we check them off because it feels so good to check them off. And every time we write a, a line through it, we're like, I am not a failure, I am not a failure. Look, I'm getting stuff done. Or maybe we let the disappointment fester. We turn to blame and accusation because you know what? It's easier to name that thing over there with them because I can't name what's happening in my season. We just go back to these old narratives. We're just like the disciples. It's easy to judge them and think, what are you, what are you guys doing arguing? Jesus is going to his death. 
But we so often do the same kind of thing. We long to grab onto control in our life. Disorientation is so unsettling. You know what strikes me about the scripture is that Jesus is in no hurry to rescue them. He's in no hurry. Could have just been like, okay guys, I know you're really disoriented. Let's just speed the journey up and we'll get to the end and then it'll all be it's fine. It's fine, don't worry. But Jesus isn't interested in rescuing them. In fact, just after they've done this arguing, then he like points to a kid and he starts talking about serving and it's like, what? Like, like, okay, now we're supposed to like welcome the children. First will be last. Like, this is bizarre. Like, Jesus just continues to throw curveballs at them, like, to challenge their mindsets. And even the pace of Mark shifts in these two or three chapters. Previously, it was like immediately, 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 Mark's favorite word. And now we got Jesus being like, mm, let's get away. I want to teach you. Let me unpack some things for you. Let me tell you some things. Like, there is a space that he's creating for this process to happen, and he's not rushing it. See, we are so eager to get out of it. We don't like the disorientation. We don't like the uncertainty. Often in those moments, we begin to feel like a failure. Like, am I, am I a bad Christian? Is my faith failing? I'm asking so many questions. Nothing feels the same. Do, am I even a Christian anymore? Like, I don't even know what's going on. But I wanna suggest, church, that at the times when we feel our faith is failing, maybe it's actually forming. Maybe in those times when we feel like everything's just kind of not what it was and we can't make sense of it, and we can't get it under control, maybe, just maybe, it's in those times that our faith is being formed. This morning, I wanna tell you four truths about disorientation. I'll be honest with you, they're not gonna rescue you from that season if you're in it but I hope that they will provide comfort and maybe some guidance on how to navigate those seasons. And one thing I will add too is that you may not be in a season of disorientation right now, but you will be. <laughs> so if you're sitting here today and being like, this is a great sermon for my friend, that's cool. It might be, feel free to share, but it's also a great sermon for you because whether you're in it now or not, this is the Christian life. Number one, disorientation is the fire we are forged in. Disorientation is a season that is central to God's work of maturity in our life. Look, friends, this is not an easy word this morning, but some of us are still holding on to the childish notion that life is easy. It's supposed to be easy. We'll just get to a certain point and it will just be, and it's just not true. Life's hard. Life's hard. And God is working in us through that hard to mature us, to be like Him. We have to go through this process. Every one of us has to go through it. And we go through it again and again and again. You might be sitting here this morning thinking, Jesus, we did this three years ago. You might have done it three years ago. But you see, God keeps bringing us through this process of orientation, disorientation, reorientation, and we go through it again and again and again. They did some research on caterpillars and butterflies. They tried to help along the caterpillar when it was in its cocoon, and they opened it up a little bit and tried to give it a little help to see what would happen. And what they discovered is, is if you help a caterpillar out of a cocoon, it doesn't become the butterfly it's supposed to become. 
doesn't live. Because there's something about the process of pushing against the cocoon that forms the, the caterpillar into what it's supposed to be. It needs that process of ad adversity and resistance. And likewise, church, we also need seasons of disorientation to become everything that we're supposed to be. See, the disciples had to walk through the disorientation to follow Jesus to the cross, and so do we. We have to go through it. We have to face our desire for control. This longing to rule our own lives, to assert our ego and our preference, our plan. We have to go through this process of facing it and surrendering it. We have to go through disorientation to break the false beliefs and ideas about what we think life should be like and who we think God is. Like Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in The Cost of Discipleship, when Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids, he bids them come and die. We are forged in this kind of fire of disorientation. But it's not a failure, it's formation. Because you're going through this season doesn't mean you've taken a wrong turn. You might have, there might be an element where God's just kind of come in and correct you, but a lot of the time, we are just in these seasons where God's like, I'm forming you, I'm changing you. Number two, disorientation is the journey taken by every disciple. Do we love Jesus for the good stuff? I mean, are we in this Jesus thing for the good vibes, the blessings, like the cool Sunday social connection, like, hey, this just is like an added addition to my life that makes it feel really great. Is that what we are in it for? Because the thing about disorientation is it exposes our heart to say, are we disciples of Jesus or are we just in it for the good stuff? Before I started dating my husband, one of a mentor said to me, as we were talking about dating, and he said, you know, Ruthie, just pay attention to the people, like, the, the guys that pursue you, that really, like, they really, like, are interested in a relationship with you, like, they're really kind of pursuing and committed, not these flaky guys, like, just pay attention. So when I met Brian, um, he was really into me, and uh, from, from my perspective, he was solidly in the friend zone, you know what I'm saying? And so, um, after a few months of like hanging out, it just kind of got awkward. And I just thought, you know, I just need to nip this in the bud. So, 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 so I took him for coffee. And I, I'm a little bit ashamed to tell this story, but it's funny, so I will. Um, and I looked at him and I was like, so um, it seems really obvious that you have feelings for me. And I just want you to know that I don't have any for you. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I, I felt at the time that that was loving and kind. I maybe in hindsight would have edited slightly. But during that conversation, he looked at me and he said, so um, like, like, you know, maybe at some point in the future, and I, I literally was like, just listen to my words. It's never going to happen. <laughs> Brian and I celebrate 16 years of marriage next month. <laughs> So, so that's how that turned out. Um, but years later, I said to him, I was like, oh, you remember, that? you remember that conversation? He's like, yes, I remember that conversation. And I was like, that must have been kind of weird. And it's just so you know, strange how things work out. And I was like, what did you take away from that conversation? 
And he looked at me and he said, I thought to myself, there's still a chance. <laughs> and I, I thought, interesting. <laughs> now here's the thing, church. The Holy Spirit is not playing hard to get with us and he's not gearing up to reject us, but he is waiting to see if you are serious. He is waiting to see, are you gonna just be in this relationship for the good stuff when you could pop a prayer in the slot machine and get an immediate response and feel all the high highs? Or are you in it because you love Him? I mean, are you in this relationship pursuing God, hungry for God, saying, you know what, God, I'm in this. You see, He doesn't wanna take up just a little slot in your calendar. The other week, Dave preached a really powerful message about mountaintops. If you haven't heard it, I wanna encourage you to listen. And he talked about how we all need them, but we can't force those times with God, but what we can do is make space for them. Or as we sang earlier, make room for them. The problem is for some of us, our making room looks like, here you are, Jesus, you can have half an hour in my schedule here, right after Pilates and right before I jump into, you know, it's like we give Jesus like this little slot, and if he doesn't show up the way we want him to show up, or we give him a timeline, God, I'm gonna pray this prayer for the next week or the next month. And at the end of that time, it's like, I, I haven't seen the disorientation end. I still feel confused. I don't feel God sent me a dream from heaven with the next 10 years for my life. I don't know if I wanna give him this room anymore. Church, are we in it for the good stuff? Are we in it for the answers? Are we in it for the blessings? Are we in it because Jesus came and he pulled us out of the pit? when we were dead to sin and nobody else was coming to rescue us. And he said, you know what, I want that one. So he came down and he pulled us out. He said, I love you and I call you treasure and my chosen one. And he brought us into life. And our response to that is worship that says, I'm in it. There's a chance. There's a chance, God, you're gonna show up and do something in my life, but I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait. Is Jesus enough? I mean, church, this isn't an easy word, but this is the call of a disciple. Is Jesus enough? If he never answers that prayer, is he enough? If he doesn't show up in the ways that you want him to, if that special someone doesn't come into your life, is Jesus enough? This is the journey of every disciple. Seasons of disorientation where our heart is exposed. Will I hang in there when it seems like nothing's happening? Will I hold on to that faith and that belief? Will I hunger after you and desire more of God? Ruth Haley Barton says that your desire for more of God than you have right now your longing for love, your need for deeper levels of spiritual transformation than you have experienced so far is the truest thing about you. You might think about your woundedness or your sinfulness as the truest thing about you or your giftedness or your personality type or your job title or your identity as husband or wife, mother or father somehow defines you. But in reality, it's your desire for God and your capacity to reach for more of God than you have right now. That is the deepest essence of who you are. Disorientation will bring up the deepest parts of you, that sense of longing and hunger, and it'll expose all the other loves. Number three, 
Disorientation is how we learn deeper dependence. If you read in the Old Testament, you'll read the story of Israel. They are rescued out of Egypt. It's a moment of orientation. They are led into the wilderness, disorientation, and they are led into the promised land, reorientation. And while they are in the wilderness, in this time of disorientation, God feeds them every day with manna. He is trying to teach them what it looks like to depend on Him. They want, he wants them to look to Him, to rely on Him, to know that He is their provider. And that's the thing with disorientation. Often in our life, it strips away all the things that we're depending on. The accolades, the success, even good things like the community around us. The things that have kind of like, we've leaned into and said, okay, I can do it. I can do it because you're here. I can do it because I've got this thing clear in my life. I can do it because I've got money in the bank. I mean, whatever it is for you. There were all these things that we lean into and we build our lives on and it's only in disorientation that we realise we've built our life on them. We come into church every week and like, God, I give you everything. Give it you all, Lord. And we genuinely probably think that we have, that we are. God, I'm not building my life on success. And then we lose our job and we spiral. We don't think we're building our life on our partner, but when things crack and crumble and feel fractured, suddenly we're so lost and we don't know what to do. And we're like, I've got no one. I've got nothing. God's failed me. God will allow us to experience disorientation to show us you've built your life on the wrong thing. You've built your life on the wrong thing. Sometimes when those things fall away, we find ourselves asking, is God, is God still here? Can, is God still trustworthy? And you know, in those moments of disorientation, we're very vulnerable. And the enemy comes in and he says, mm, you thought that relationship was gonna last a lifetime? Look what happened there. You think God is still gonna stick around too? Or you thought that job was secure, or you thought you had your future mapped out, or you thought you knew what it was gonna be, or you thought you had your good health. But you know, none of that was certain, so maybe God's not so certain either. And begins to plant these thoughts in our mind that somehow maybe God is not trustworthy. Somehow He is gonna turn around and change. Well, church, let me tell you what it says in Hebrews 13. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't care what's been stripped away in your life. It doesn't matter how much is crumbling and falling, it will not change the fact that He is unchangeable. It will not diminish the fact that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You could be losing your job. Your world can be unstable. Relationships can feel like they're falling apart. You might feel lonely and isolated, but let me tell you, he's still trustworthy. He hasn't changed. He's still the God of Elijah up on the mountaintop in victory down in the cave in despair. He's still the God of Esther who faced oppression and principalities and powers to the point of near genocide and he showed up on her behalf. He's still the God of Peter 
in the jail where the chains just flew off and the doors blew open. And he's still the God of the New Testament church that said, we are being persecuted. We need the power of God. And people were healed and delivered and miracles happened. He's not changed. He's still that God. So if you are standing on what feels like unsteady ground this morning, I wanna remind you that he is a sure foundation. He is still good. He is still for you. He has not forgotten you. He is still fighting your battles even though you feel like you're overwhelmed. You are still chosen by Him. You have not lost your calling. This is not the end of your story. All of those things are still true even in seasons of disorientation. But let me tell you what, sometimes you need the seasons of disorientation to teach you that because you don't get that on the mountain. You get all the feels on the mountain, like first set worship, like woohoo. But you know what you learn in the valley and the disorientation when you're driving down the road, gripping a steering wheel, thinking, I am so lost. I'm so scared. I don't think anyone else is lost. It's just me. That's when we really figure out, you know what, God? I may not have GPS. I may not have the community I used to have. I might feel different. I might have a lot of questions, but God, you have not changed. And that is something I can depend on. Number four, disorientation is what we experience before dramatic transformation. I asked myself a question this week and I said, Ruthie, because I'm, I'm going through this, if you, if you couldn't tell from what I'd shared. <laughs> I said, Ruthie, just think about a time when you have experienced disorientation before and just like reflect on it. What have you learned from it? It's a great question to ask yourself. It stirs faith when you go back and look at how God has worked in the past. And I was remembering back to 2016, early 2016, and I went through this phase where I felt very lost in some ways. Still love Jesus, still doing ministry, like all of, you know, cool. But I knew that something was being rearranged. I knew that I couldn't see as clearly the path forward. I didn't know what God was doing. And then I remembered this week as I reflected that right after that season, I started preaching here at Reality. Never preached in a church before. It's a whole new thing that God uncovered. Right after that season, I started coaching. Right after that season, my husband had a massive breakthrough around his own dreams and vision. Right after that breakthrough, some good things happened in our family. And I was like, wow. Like on the other side of that disorientation was almost like this reorientation where God unlocked new things. Well, it was this beautiful perspective shift where it was like I could see Jesus. It wasn't all just like, good stuff, good vibes. It was like my relationship with Jesus shifted. The mindset suddenly blew open and I realized, oh God, you can do so much more than I ever imagined. You see, that's what God is often doing in seasons of disorientation. He's breaking the old mindset. So small, that shriveled little wineskin. And we're like, God, give me the big dreams and the vision and all the great stuff. And God's like, it's not gonna fit in there. So we're gonna have to just, Mm, because I do have big dreams and I've got vision and I've got good things I wanna release, but we have to sometimes go through this disorientation because that's where the spirit is at work. In Genesis one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That word hovering there in the Hebrew, you can translate it to kind of dwelling, brooding, or laboring. So in this moment of chaos and confusion, lack of order, disorientation, nothing being super clear or formed, the Spirit is laboring. Church, I wanna suggest that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that actually the Holy Spirit is deeply at work in seasons of disorientation in our life. The problem is we just don't have the control to see it or name it. It takes faith to believe that God is working. And I wanna encourage you that you might be feeling like nothing is going on, but what if this is gonna be the most transformational season? You're just not gonna see it until you're on the other side of it. I mean, what if all of those things that we name the activity of God or the provision of God or the breakthrough of God, what if all of that is actually seeded in a season of disorientation? You see, God is bringing us through. He's not gonna leave us. There is a reorientation that happens, but it centers us on the person of Jesus and the work that he's doing in our lives. The Spirit is at work laboring, generating new life, emerging new creativity. It's just who God is. So let me ask you a question as I close this morning. How would it change your perspective to consider the Holy Spirit dwelling in and laboring over your season of disorientation? Rather than the idea that you are somehow lost and aimless and nothing is happening and it's all a waste of time, what if the Spirit is dwelling, laboring, doing deep work that you're gonna bear the fruit in six months, a year, 10 years down the road? How does that switch our perspective? because that is what God is wanting to do. He wants to change our perspective this morning. Disorientation isn't easy, but there's purpose in it. Worship team, I'd love to invite you to come on up as we move into a time of response.